Well, good morning, Lake Avenue Church. I am so happy to be with you this morning. Thank you for your prayers. Last week, uh, during this nine o'clock hour, I was sitting in Nairobi at a, a place like Starbucks, but way better, called the Java House, with Scott White, Randy Nelson, and Steve Scheidler. Steve, could you please stand? And can we thank Steve for coming on this trip with us? And my favorite part of the worship service was this moment where Pastor Annie was praying for me and none of them. And um, <laughs> so in the Java house, I added the prayer for the Scheidlers and the Whites and the Nelsons as well. So I felt very honored. Um, and then I got a good quip out of that going, they love you too, I promise, I promise. Pastor Scott is still traveling, still visiting folks on the field. Please keep him and his family in prayers. But I really am grateful for the way in which we really uh, felt your prayers. And you will have story after story in weeks to come. But know uh, from, from things like um, a drone that was never supposed to be allowed in the country of Kenya, um, was allowed in, and we're able to get some footage that will be beautiful to a plane that was coming to get us. Uh, that actually uh, had to emergency land and from a mechanical failure, and we never got on that plane, we got on a different plane. I mean, time and time again, we sensed God's presence and his prayers, your prayers being fulfilled by God, and I'm really grateful. Um, and I have to say, um, I hope you know that you are a part of just an amazing congregation. When I was uh, meeting and being with our people and hearing the stories what they're doing for the name of Jesus in some very difficult places. I continued every day to just be overwhelmed, overwhelmed with the legacy of faith of this church. In fact, the main focus, one of our main focuses was in northern Kenya, the Turkana Valley. And what I became aware of about the week before I left was that Lake Avenue Church has had a presence on the field in this area for over 50 years. And the same way when you talk to me about the different pastors and leaders over the course of the life of Lake Avenue Church that have impacted you, when I hear names like Scott Benson, when I hear names like uh, Ray Ortland, when I hear names like Gordon Kirk, when you tell me the stories of how these people influenced your life for Jesus, I can tell you with all truth and sincerity that as we were walking around the Turkana Valley, whether it was in the city of Lodwar or in the villages outside, we would hear names. We would hear names like Greg and Mindy Yost, Randy and Edie Nelson, Ray and Jill Davis, people reflecting back at the people who brought the message and hope of Jesus to them. They had no idea that they came from a church in California, but we knew, and we were blown away with the way that this particular church has been involved in this area for so long and so faithfully. So every time I had a moment to give a greeting, whether it be a group of pastors or a group of people, and I would say, that I come from a church with people who have been praying for you and supporting you, praying for your land for over 30, 40, 50 years. Every time we shared that piece of news with them, they would break out in applause of gratitude and gratefulness. It was awesome. So, 
A week ago, I was giving a greeting to a church on your behalf, and this week I'm going to give a greeting back to you from the Church of Jesus Christ in Laura Loop uh, in the Turkana Valley. I have a picture that Steve shot from last week. I'd love to show it to you. Just one picture. You'll have more videos and things to come. Is that picture up? It's just one picture. It's a good one. It's way better than the one you're looking at now. There you go. So this was, uh, this was last week, church, for us. It was, you'll see in that picture, uh, Scott at the end, Randy Nelson, and then the pastor of the church is sitting down. Then Isaac is the translator. Isaac grew up in this village with the Nelsons. He was a child. He played with the Nelsons' kids. And he went on to go to university, get a master's degree, and now he advances the kingdom of Jesus in Nairobi. And he came back with us to see his family, to see his dad, his mom his extended relatives, and we were able to participate in a worship service that, I just have to tell you, has a little bit more energy than our worship services. <laughs> and it was beautiful, humbling, amazing trip. But I do have to tell you, I'm happy to be home. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful for, we had a meeting before I left, and I said, surely nothing's gonna happen while I'm gone, but just in case there is, Here's how we should deal with things. And who knew there would be a pandemic and, and all the decisions that needed to be made. And Pastor Chuck and Pastor Greg so faithfully continued to teach the gospel of Jesus from this pulpit. And I hope you know this, and I am more convinced of this than ever. This is an incredible staff that God has brought us at Lake Avenue Church. So I want to say to you, before we jump into a text that's about money and generosity, I want you to hear me clearly before the Spirit of God speaks to you. You are a very generous church. You are a very generous group of people. To have 50 years of a commitment, this is just one small place on the map of literally dozens of places that God has called us to participate. There's a legacy of generosity. There is a legacy of sacrificial giving. There is a legacy that cares for people outside of the walls of this church, both locally and to the far ends of the earth. And I want you to know from the bottom of my heart how privileged I am to be a part of you and to be a part of a church that is so incredibly generous. And there are more stories to tell, and I gave you a highlight last week, but just in short, I want you to continue to not just rest on our legacy of generosity, but to be open to the moment of generosity for us. I met children who are younger than my kids. I have an eight-year-old and 11-year-old. I met children who are shepherds, who spend hours a day walking with animals, hours a day walking to get fresh drinking water. And on, in May, we're gonna have a day where you're just gonna pay a registration fee to walk around six kilometers, which is about the walk they do. And if we can just trust the Lord, and get the word out and all participate, we can actually stop a bunch of kids and women from walking ever again. We can get water to their places so that they, these kids can get in school, these kids can have a different quality of life, and I'm grateful to be a part of a church that doesn't just find a new place with a need, but this is a place where God has provided to us for so long. So keep your calendars open for May 16th, get your walking shoes ready, you're gonna be fine. It's gonna be really good. So as we were, let's jump into the sermon. Greg so faithfully opened up our, our message. For the Lenten season, we are in the Sermon on the Mount, and, and he so beautifully opened up our series of Life Aligned last week. Let me tell you why I'm drawn to this teaching. 
I'm drawn not just because it's the longest sermon that Jesus ever gave that's recorded. I'm I'm not just drawn because within the Sermon on the Mount, I, I think there's ethics for the entire way we're called to live. But I'm drawn to the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount because I cannot think of a more um, clear place where Jesus understands what it means to be human. The way he teaches, the way he talks about what life is supposed to be lived like, the way in which Jesus comes at topic after topic, and if we read it in one sense, it it can feel schizophrenic. It can feel like, well, he just went from marriage, and now we're talking about money, and now we're talking about about, uh, daily provision. But I believe that through the Sermon on the Mount, we see this progression of Jesus understanding what it means to be you and me, what it means to be human. Remember that Jesus is fully God, and he's fully human. And for me, the Sermon on the Mount, and what I pray that you begin to see throughout this Lenten season is not just a Jesus, and aren't we grateful that he's a Jesus that is fully God, who died on that cross and rose from the grave, but but he's not outside of the human experience. The way he teaches takes into uh, the truth of what it means to be human. And so the way he teaches, what he talks about, the temptations, the propensities of what it means to be human, the way of living that he advocates for and teaches time and time again, for me is just one teaching after another of a Jesus who understands us human beings. And so today, You are happy today. I love this. (laughs) Today, we are going to see Jesus talk about something that I think might be the single biggest temptation for us to live the life, the biggest struggle for you and I to live a life of faithfulness, to have our lives being aligned. And some of you are going to cringe up right now because Jesus is going to talk about our money. Jesus is going to be talking about our stuff, the way we view our resources, the way we view the things that we have. This is not a new message for the scripture. It wasn't one that Jesus begins in the Sermon on the Mount. From the very beginning of the Bible, we have a God who is encouraging and speaks of a way of understanding possessions and things and money in a way to benefit him, to recognize God in this world and to not build our own small kingdoms. And so Jesus is going to mess with us today. He's going to mess with us for the next many weeks. I pray that he messes with you for the rest of your life. But he's going to get in your wallets today. And he's going to get in your mindset of the way you think about and the way I think about things. And I'll read the scripture in a moment, but the end of this scripture we'll be looking at is this famous verse that should haunt every single one of us. I had a professor in undergrad, Dr. Boulogne at APU. He said, these are one of those Jesus going for the jugular. This is one of these where Jesus just says something and you just have to pause and go, wow. But this is the verse, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Matthew chapter 6, we're going to read the first four verses and then continuing in this theme of money and possessions and generosity, we'll continue in verse 19 through 24. So starting in verse 1, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. 
then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jumping to verse 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So in chapter 6, Jesus is coming out strong with three very quick teachings, one around giving, one around prayer, and one around fasting. These were the three chief acts of Jewish piety. To be a faithful follower of Yahweh, to be a faithful Jew at that time, you had rhythms built in your life of, of regular giving, almsgiving, regular prayer, regular fasting. This was known within the believing community as things you do, but what we see in this first teaching and what we'll really look at next week is that the way in which people were engaging in these activities, these good things of giving and prayer and fasting, that there was, there was something off. There was the humanness that had crept into what was supposed to be spiritual. What was supposed to be meant for God was starting to take on different meanings. And so Jesus comes right out at verse 6 to, to kind of reclaim and to reframe what it looks like to have your life aligned in the way you give, the way you pray, the way you fast, those three chief acts of Jewish piety. We'll look at them as a whole next week, but for today, we're just talking about the giving aspect. So it says, when you give to the needy, I want you to see this right away. The first thing I want us to note is that Jesus is saying when you give, not if you give. There is an assumption in this teaching from Jesus that for those of us who want to be connected to God and to live the life that God has for us, giving is a regular part of that. That's affirmed in his teaching here. It's taught throughout the entire scripture. This is where I applaud you as a congregation that you are generous that we are a church that I think for many of us have found that rhythm, but, but let me be truthful. I, I only know the statistics. I don't know the name. We all continue need to need to grow in finding the regular rhythm of giving. So when Jesus says in this teaching, when you give to the needy, he's not saying if you give to the needy. He's assuming we're going to give, but what he is talking about is there was a way of giving that seemed to be mixed up. There's three aspects of this teaching that I pray will speak to us, and the first one is this. We need to understand our audience when we give. In verses 1 to 4, we get this idea of audience. We see the problem, that there are a lot of people giving to the needy, but they're announcing it with trumpet, tr trumpets, as hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets. They're giving to be honored by others. They've got their audience wrong, Jesus is letting them know. That this way of giving, this rhythm of giving financially to God is one that has this amazing trapping of being human. And it's when we get our audience wrong, when we believe 
that when we give, we are going to get credit from other people, that our reputation will start looking really good, that others might see us as generous, as faithful, as someone who's, who's living the life we're supposed to live. We, we see this throughout these teachings in chapter 6, that the audience is wrong that what had crept into the community, what had crept into the culture was, yes, a, a level of regular giving, but not giving to God as the primary audience. Giving so that other people would recognize how amazing I am as a giver. See what I say when Jesus understands human, what it means to be human? That this way of living God calls us to comes with the trap right at the start that the, the very things God calls us to, to do in our devotion to him can get so messed up because we're more concerned about what other, other people will think about us. And so Jesus uh, talks about the problem and then he gives this, this solution. And if you never see any humor or exaggeration in the teachings of Jesus, I hope you see it here. This is a, another place where I see the, the humanity of Jesus coming in to wake up his audience, to keep them with him. And so his, his, uh, his rebuttal, how, are, how should you give? Well, don't even let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. He's talking about that kind of secretness, that kind of devotion, getting the audience so right that, that my right hand of giving is going directly to God that the rest of my body doesn't even understand what's happening. It's an exaggeration. It's, a, it's an image. It's a way of understanding that if the problem is there's people giving so that people can announce how amazing you are, you got your name in the back of the book or on the building, Jesus is saying, I don't want any of that with your giving. I don't even want the rest of your body to understand what's happening when you put your money to God. It's a call to having a devotion to the appropriate audience. The only audience, the only attention for that which we give is God. And if we don't have the audience right, we end up having the faith of, if you remember last week, the Pharisees. Who, yeah, maybe on paper were executing all the things, all their righteousness was, was, doing, was doing just fine. I mean, they were checking off the list, but they got the audience wrong. They forgot that, that who set up this whole way of living, this life aligned, this opportunity to be faithful is a God who calls us to give to him and him alone. You know, when my brother's home burned down a few years ago, many of you were so kind to pray and support my family during that time. And one of the things that blew me away over and over and over again was whether we would come home and open our mailbox and there would just be a random $20 or $40 to someone connecting to somebody else on staff and handing cash and money to us to get to my brother who lost everything. And as, as my brother, who is not at this point in his life, someone who goes to church regularly, he was blown away. How could this group of people, how could this group of people who don't know me feel led to provide for me and my family in this time? And I still tell him, they, they didn't do that just because it's you. They did it because they're following God. And when God directs us to give to him, it is a way of living that is quite beautiful. And there's a privacy and a secrecy. And you illustrated that so well for me during that time because I don't, I can't even write thank you notes to many of you because I don't know who you are. This is the kind of generosity and giving that Jesus is teaching about. A kind of way of giving to God and being concerned with what God thinks about our giving and not being concerned about getting credit for it or having other people think we are amazing and generous because we give. This is a temptation of being human. This is a temptation of, of being human in Pasadena, California, brothers and sisters. 
We have a whole magazine in this city dedicated to fundraisers. And, and in and of themselves, of giving and having something being given your name, I don't think that is bad. That's for you to decide. But what is the motivation in our giving? Is it so that others will think that we are amazing? That's the wrong audience. Or is it because we're being faithful to the audience of God and how he's called us to live in this life? So the first thing I want us to understand in this teaching, want us to see, is that Jesus is calling us in regards to our giving, not, not if we give, but when we give to get our audience right, to give to God and God alone. And then he continues on in the teaching in verse 19. The next thing I want us to see is he's speaking to not just the audience of our giving, but the attention of our life and our things and our money. When he says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Again, another place where Jesus understands what it means to be human. Now, let me be clear. I don't think what Jesus is saying is that you should never buy anything or decorate your house or, or drive a car. I, there are interpretations of scriptures like this that would say that. I think what he's speaking to is our attention. What takes up and consumes our minds and our thoughts? And you know and I know, being a part of a materialistic culture that we live in, that when our minds are focused on things and square footage and the right car, and the right amount, if we could just have these things, and this drive that the consuming, the, the building and putting things in our lives can overtake us to where our attention is focused on, on, on purchasing, on having, on continuing to hold, to putting value in what, uh, what, how many things we own and what we own and having it look perfect. It's about our attention. And the teaching of Jesus is calling us to make sure that our attention is on kingdom things, on heavenly things. That we don't spend our lives consumed with protecting our property and our stuff and, and building our own uh, earthly empire. From the beginning of Genesis, this has been the trap of human beings to build for ourselves our own kingdom. It, it's, it's, a, it's a focus of attention. It's the idea that when our stuff starts owning us, instead of our stuff being used by God for his kingdom. One of the many conversations I had with someone I just traveled with was the journey of how they got to have their home and the kinds of things they were dreaming about and having their home and the commitment they made that they wanted their home to be used for the kingdom of God. And so frequently there are gatherings in their home because God has given them this for the use of his. This is the kind of attention God is calling us to, to not be so focused on building for ourselves or having the right amount, because you know how this works, right? Uh, we, we can get so perplexed, so focused that if we just had, I, I tell this story all the time, when we got to the house we live in now, you know what, the couch we had at the other place, it just didn't fit as well in the new place. So if we could just get the right couch, right? And we just get the right couch, and then, then our home will be ready for hosting and perfect. So, so here's the thing, we got the couch. But guess what? Now we need some chairs. The chairs have to match the couch. 
And then the chairs, well, that we probably should paint again because the paint needs to match all this. See, it's this chasing after the wind, Ecclesiastes says, where we just, if we just have this, then we'll be satisfied. There's a way to hold things in the proper place. What Jesus is speaking about is to make sure that our attention, our attention in this life is on the kingdom of God and on heavenly things and not in just things that can be stolen and destroyed. Jesus calls our attention to be toward heaven, towards the spiritual reality, to not be consumed by possessions and the energy that goes into getting them, preserving them, and protecting them. Where our treasure is, Jesus says, is where our hearts are, where our minds are. And again, I'll show you in a moment how I think all these things are so connected to being human. So we have our audience, a call for us to give to God and not for one another. We have a call for our attention to be around the proper things and not to be, spend our life consuming and building our own kingdoms. And then finally, in verse 22 and 23, I think Jesus is speaking about our attitude towards, towards things, towards money, towards generosity. And this feels like a schizophrenic shift in the Sermon on the Mount. Because all of a sudden he starts talking about eyes and lamps and darkness. But let me read it for you. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? This is where I'm so grateful that God has saw fit for me to have friends who are Messianic Jewish believers. Because I, I would sit with these rabbis, and this would be one of these scriptures we would talk about. And they said, you know, in the, Jeff, during the intertestamental period, in between when the Old Testament and the New Testament, this was a, this was a figure of speech. This was an ancient Jewish figure of speech. If you were someone who was known of having good eyes, you were someone who was generous. And if you had bad eyes, you were a stingy person. So think about this teaching and how it relates in, con in, in the journey of this teaching around things. And, and what Jesus is teaching is about attitude, that your eye is the lamp of your body. If your eyes are healthy, if you can see, if you can see the world the way God sees the world, and you are a generous person, that's the way of living. But some of you, some of you, you can't see because you're full of darkness. Your eyes are forward. Here's how I think this connects. See this? So if I'm spending my life buying things for myself, if I'm spending my life just thinking I could just have more things, then my eyes are down looking at me. They don't go very far. But if I can have the right perspective about things, then my eyes are up and I can start seeing needs around me. It's, a, it's an attitude call to live a generous life. There's a regular rhythm of giving God calls us to. We should be giving to, I believe very clearly, to the, to the kingdom of God through the ministry of whatever church you're a part of. I pray that all of you are part of Lake Avenue Church and this is the place where you have regular giving. But that's not a, we don't just check the box and go, we've given to the church. Jesus is going higher. He always goes higher. He's calling you and me to a life of generosity, of being able to not just look at our own square footage or our own last name, to look up and see the needs around us and to be the kind of people who have the attitude of generosity, moving towards people in need, having eyes awakened to the reality of this world, having good eyes, being a generous person, using the sight that God has given us to see his needs. I'm, I'm, I'm blown away with how many times Jesus says, let those who have ears to hear, those who have eyes to see, it's a call. It's a call on us to see as God sees, to hear as God hears. 
and to not be a person with bad eyes who is stingy. You know, some of us, we go through life maybe with our head up and we can see things around us, but we have a scarcity mindset. Well, I see the needs around us, but I don't, I can't really do anything about that. And, and, and I don't think this is always connected to dollars in your wallet. It's a lifestyle of generosity, of being the kind of people who see a need and take steps towards the need, who don't just see a need from a distance. Things we say to our boys all the time. When somebody's hurt, we, mo- we make steps towards them. So I was at my son's track meet this Thursday because he joined track while I was gone. That was fun. Um, <laughs> let me tell you, fifth grade track, that is athleticism. Um, so I'm at a track meet and one of his friends got hurt and he looks at me and I'm in the stands and I go, and he walks over and we get in the car. I go, buddy, remember when we see somebody in pain, we make steps towards them. We don't just watch from afar. I think this is the kind of generosity that God is calling us to, to see what's happening around us and to take steps towards. My son didn't come to him and offer him a dollar in that moment. He offered his, his presence. And it's the same kind of way that our eyes will show us what's around us and to make, take steps towards. But some of us can see the need so clearly but have such a small view of what God's given us that we don't think we can do anything. It's not just about dollars. It's about a way of living that God's called us to, to see the needs around us and to take steps towards. It's too easy in the world you and I live in to see the needs and not do anything about that or blame somebody for the reason there's a need. I think sometimes we spend too much time talking about why somebody has a need rather than taking steps towards fixing the need. And brothers and sisters, Jesus is calling you and I to have good eyes, to have such an appropriate view of what God's given to us that our attention can be focused on the right thing so that we can be around the kind of living that God's called us to. So what do we do with this teaching? I have three questions I'd love for you to ponder today, and I pray maybe one of them would stand out to you to continue to pray and ponder in the days to come. So by way of application, the first question I have for you, in the context of the left and right hand, in the context of audience, how do you view your giving? Who are you giving to? Who is your audience? And brothers and sisters of Lake Avenue Church, let me tell you some tempting audiences for all of us. The IRS. I want to give to God, but I really want to make sure all that's recorded correctly so that when I do my taxes, I can get that right off. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but what's the primary audience we give to? It's going to happen in our lifetime. It's going to happen in my lifetime, and it's already beginning to happen, that the charitable giving donation is going to end in the same way. And my question for followers of Jesus, not just at Lake Avenue Church, is that going to change the way we give? If the IRS doesn't see what we do, are we still going to give to God? Some of you, you give and you really hope that people here even notice that. I've got to tell you, I don't get a printout of anybody's giving. I don't want to know. In fact, I got an argument in a doctoral class at Trinity where the professor asked, do you know what your people give? And I said, no. And he goes, I think you should. You should know who the top 10. I go, nope, not doing it. Not doing it. But some of you give so that people might know that you give. Some of us give for ourselves to know that we're give. All of these things are okay and appropriate, but they're not the primary audience of giving. 
You know, a, a famous kind of saying within the community of faith is that we vote our, 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 our um, happiness or our pleasure with the church in the way we give. And so if we're not happy, if we're not pleased with the direction of the church, then we're going to stop giving. And, and that, when, when that has been said to me over my years at Lake Avenue Church, my only response to that is quite nothing. Like, okay, I'm not your audience. God is your audience. But if you view your giving as your vote or your voice or to quote, because I've given so long, I, like, we've got an audience problem. We don't give so that other people might be impressed by us, even the church. We give and not even let our right hand know what our left hand is doing. There's an audience devotion. There's a secret quietness. There is a, a privateness to this way of living God calls us to that Jesus is teaching about. So how do you view your giving? And as I've said to you before, I think the, the personal pronoun is a very dangerous thing for American Christians. Your giving, my, everything we have is a gift from God. Everything we have is from him and him alone. It's all his. And sometimes our audience issue is wrong because we even view ourselves as the audience and not Jesus. So how do you view your giving? And is Jesus potentially saying to you, let's get some alignment there? Second question, what are you dreaming about? Like for your life, for your home, why? This idea of treasures in heaven versus treasures on earth, and I'll admit to you, there are plenty of days where I spend a lot of time dreaming about stuff that moths could destroy, stuff that could be stolen from my house if somebody broke in. There's some, there's some things I really enjoy doing in this life that have to do with purchasing. And I can get consumed by following the prices and, and figuring out when the sales are. And, and, it can, and it could be a fun hobby or it could be something that consumes me. You and I live in a very materialistic culture. Moth and rust is real. What is getting our attention? I've had a lot of jet lag lately, and so Hulu has been a friend of mine at 3 in the morning. And in Hulu, you have to sit, I have to sit through the ads, and I was blown away two days ago when there were not just one, but two, two companies in one span of a minute and a half ad that's all about storage. There's a new storage service that they will come to your house, give you a green bin, help you pack it, take it away like a concierge, take pictures of everything, then all you need to do is get on the app and go, I would like my china next weekend, and they will come and bring your china back to you. Because we don't have enough square footage in America. And then another company that has a different angle on how we can keep your stuff for you, stuff Think about that world you and I live in. Moth and rust is real. And might you this morning hear an invitation from Jesus to make sure that that's not taking up all of your life or the majority of your days. Do you hear an invitation towards treasures in heaven? Maybe that's an alignment area for some of us this morning. And then final question. This idea of having generous eyes or bad eyes, do you view life or your finances or all that's been given to you as a half glass empty or half glass, half, half full or half empty? 
Do you have an abundance mindset or do you have a scarcity mindset? I've sat with family members who have fully retired, have amazing pensions, have homes paid off, have vacations already scheduled multiple times a year, and still lead out with concern that I don't have enough. And we, and we can't quite do that. It's a, it's a mindset of scarcity versus abundance. One of the most amazing parts of our trip, Steve, wasn't it? We, we, we held, they held a meeting for us. The whole village came out. There must have been 100 people dressed to the nine. And here's what's happened. They, they've been praying for years, and you've been praying for years that in Turkana they would find resource. So there's been oil that's been found and water that's been found. It's their water. So there was a meeting held in which we were sitting up there listening, and the head of World Vision of Kenya was sitting with us, and the, the conversation among the people of Turkana was what do you want to do with your water? How, what can we do to help you with what your resource is? And I was blown away that the first thing that everybody said was, hey, there's like these tribes over on the other side. They need the water too. These are the same groups of people that have a long-standing history of war and death. But because of the gospel of Jesus, in 10 years, there's been reconciliation meetings, and these tribes are no longer at war with one another. And given them giving what they've never had in their whole life, water, they said, what about those other people? They need it too. See, we have much to learn from Turkana Christians, brothers and sisters. We have much to learn from our brothers and sisters who see everything that they've been given from God, and not just for themselves, but for others. They have an abundance mindset. And we have much to learn from them. So living our lives aligned, Jesus is going to do this week in and week out for the next many weeks. He's going to mess with us. He's going to mess with our money. He's going to mess with the way we think about our stuff. I, I mean, it should be a tension for some of us, even how we go about the rest of our day, to make sure that Jesus is in that with us to make sure that we have good eyes, that we're not just limited with our vision to our personal property and our family last name, but to look broader and bigger. And Jesus understands this temptation. He understands what it means to be human. He understands the power and the pull of money. He understands the power and the pull of building for ourselves our own kind of world. He understands our tendency to, to be stingy, to not move towards people and places in need. And Jesus is teaching us in his scripture, teaches us that alignment can happen, that we can get our audience right, that we can direct our attention correctly, that we can have an attitude of, of abundance and generosity versus a, an attitude of scarcity and just not enough. We can have this way of living but we need Jesus' help to do so. Which leads us to communion. Leads us to this sacrament, to this moment that is so perfectly illustrative of everything Jesus has said to us today. See, when Jesus was living among us, he got his audience right. And the temptation for his life to, to, to succumb to what the people wanted so what the religious leaders wanted, he remembered that he had one audience, God. And he was sent by God to do this for God, to redeem God's name, to, to, to bring the new covenant. He had his audience right. 
all the way to death and death on a cross. He had his attention on you and me and our relationship with Jesus. His attention was on on you and me and all of creation to redeem us, to help us find a way to be in relationship with God. He had his attention directed correctly because he had his audience right. And he took on the attitude of a servant. And then he says to us, live like me. In this teaching, get your audience right. Get your attention on the right things. Have an attitude of, of, of being generous in this world. He, he says, live like me. But to live like me, I need you to remember me. Because he also understands who we are. He understands that we could come week in and week out and worship and somehow put ourselves in the middle of everything and forget that what starts all of this way of living is because Jesus came and lived among us and died and rose again so that we could be and have the opportunity to live our lives aligned.